Acts chapter 2 and we're focusing on verses 42 to 47. As we consider our theme this evening, uh, what kind of church, what kind of church. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 is one of my favourite passages in the whole Bible. Uh, This little handful of verses at the end of chapter 2, it's a little summary. It's a little portrait for us, painted by uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And he's painting a little portrait for us here of what life in the early church was really like. What life for uh, the earliest believers in the New Testament days was all about. In the words of one preacher, Luke's summary here shows us what the church was. What the church should be and what the church could be. What the church was, what the church should be and what the church could be. And this isn't just about nostalgia, you know, just wishing for the good old days. Um, Some people, maybe that's their attitude when they read the book of Acts and they look at the early church They sort of have the attitude, well, that was when the church really got everything right. And that's when the church was really going good guns. And uh, wouldn't it be so much better if we were just back in the time of the early church? And people who have that attitude forget that the early church faced many of the same problems. In fact, many more difficult problems than we face today. And so we're not to look in the book of Acts as just a book of nostalgia. Nor are we supposed to read this or any portion of Acts and just say, well, they did this, this and this, or this, this and this happened in the book of Acts. And that's what we need to be doing today. Not necessarily, not everything in the book of Acts describes what the church should be doing or should expect to happen today. Because it was a a, a unique and special time in church history. But nonetheless... A lot of what we read in this passage tonight describes what what the church was and what the church should be and what the church by God's grace could be. I'm very much aware that we're living in a time when the church simply isn't able to do all the things that we normally do. As I look at a a camera in in a near empty building, I'm painfully reminded of that. But we hope and pray that that won't be the case forever and it seems as though things are maybe going in the right direction in that regard. We will get back to something hopefully approaching normality sooner or later. And when we do, there are certain things that any true church, a family of God's people, should be concerned with. Look at how Luke begins his summary of the early church in verse 42. He says, They devoted themselves they devoted themselves and that word devoted is the key word here it means to stand by to persist at to remain with if you're devoted to someone or something you occupy yourself with that thing full time you pay your closest attention to someone you stick with it people are sometimes described as devoted husbands or wives or parents or workers It means they were faithful. They they stuck things out. They put in 100% effort for whoever or whatever they were devoted to. And so friends, the church of Jesus Christ is to be a devoted church. 
And Luke shows us four things in this passage that we are to be devoted to. And that's what we want to spend our time on this evening. First of all, notice that this church in Acts chapter 2 was devoted to the word. They were devoted to the word. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Look what else it says about the apostles. Verse 43. It says, many signs, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That language of wonders and signs is Old Testament language. Uh, Moses parting the Red Sea, the terrifying sights and sounds on Mount Sinai, uh, the things that Elijah and Elisha did. Those were all signs. And of course, the things that Jesus did as well during his ministry. Those were all signs and wonders. They were miracles. At special times in the history of God's people. And the book of Acts shows us that signs and wonders continued to be done through Jesus' apostles. You can, you can read that for yourselves in the book of Acts. And miraculous things happened uh, during the ministry of the apostles. Chapter 2 tells us about that. The Holy Spirit coming down in flames of fire. Uh, the, the apostles and others suddenly being able to speak miraculous languages. 3,000 people were added to the church as a result of Peter's sermon. All very exciting and dramatic and miraculous. But what do the people do next? Do they sit around waiting for more flames of fire or praying for more miracles to be done? No. They listen. They devote themselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word as it came through the apostles. <clears throat> Miracles did continue to happen through the apostles, as you can see in the rest of the book. But the church did not devote themselves to seeking miracles. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles taught them what Jesus had taught the apostles while he was still on earth before and after his resurrection. They showed the members of the church how the whole of scripture was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and how they were to obey the scriptures. And the believers of the early church friends devoted themselves to listening, learning and remembering God's word. And it's not a coincidence that that's the first, this is the first thing that Luke tells us in verse 42 that they were devoted to. The emphasis of the passage is that this devotion to the apostles' teaching led to everything else they did. We'll, we'll look at the other things they did in a moment. But first and foremost, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and that then led to all these other things. The teaching directed the life and ministries of the church Someone has said that the pulpit drives the church. The pulpit is like the steering wheel of a car. It sets the direction of travel. And so what is taught from the pulpit, what is emphasized, and indeed how much time and attention are given to what is taught in the pulpit, that's the direction the church will go in. And it's certainly my desire that here in Dremore, I would be devoted to what the apostles taught. This is what it means to be an apostolic church. It doesn't mean that we think that we have literal apostles in our pulpits. It means that we teach what the apostles taught. 
And that's what we want to be in Dremore. I know that that's what you've been in the past through the ministry of my predecessors. And that's what we want to continue to be now and in the future. We want to be a church devoted to receiving, understanding and obeying the word. And I would say to the young people, to the boys and girls and to the young adults among you, this is the most important thing to think about if you ever find yourself away from home for study or work. The most important thing to look for in any church you go to is a church devoted to the word. Not to what's popular in the world, not to what the world would tell us we should believe, but what God has declared to be the truth. And this is why, boys and girls, it was so good to see you all gathered for your Sabbath school this afternoon. Because that's another way that you can be devoted to the Word. You can be learning the Word through what your mums and dads teach you and through what your Sabbath school teachers teach you as well. That's why it's good to have a Bible class in the church that was happening today, I think, also. This is not the only important thing in church life, as we'll see in a moment. But it's absolutely crucial That any church that wants to grow and flourish be devoted to God's word. Probably many of us listening in this evening enjoy a big Sunday roast for our dinner. The meals we have the rest of the week are vital. We we can't go without them. (coughs) But the one that we really look forward to is the Sunday roast. The most filling, the most delicious meal of the week. Well, friends, spiritually speaking, the preaching and teaching of God's word should be like our Sunday roast. The biggest, the best meal of the week. Of course, we need to be in God's word on a daily basis. We shouldn't starve ourselves the rest of the week. But there should be a a priority and an expectation given to the preaching and teaching of God's word on the Lord's day in particular. Most of you, if not all of you, don't have time to devote yourselves to God's word as much the other days of the week as you can on this day. You have important responsibilities. You have work. You have children. Some of you have other uh, interests and distractions and hobbies and legitimate concerns. And so this particular time in the week is the time to devote yourself to God's word. Even if you can make some time the rest of the week for God's word as well. And as you listen to preaching, do what you have to do to really let it sink into your mind and your heart. For some of you, that might mean making notes, though you don't have to make notes during a sermon. Uh, Maybe you can listen back to the sermon again at some point in the week. Uh, The audio is going to be on the website and on Spotify. The videos will be on YouTube. There are many, many other preachers, better preachers, uh, to listen to on, on podcasts and YouTube as well. There's good teaching to get. In, in Bible sermon series, there's uh, plenty of resources in the time and age in which we live to get God's word into your mind and heart on a daily basis. You could be listening to preaching and teaching every day of the week as you drive on your commute or as you're driving in your tractor or as you're sitting in your living room with a bit of free time in the morning. You could go to Bible college without ever leaving the house. Imagine the impact it would have in your life and in our church's life for us to become more devoted to God's word. And there's a sense in which none of us can, you can't fake this and no preacher can force this on you. 
if we're truly followers of Jesus Christ, more and more this will be the case. We will hunger and thirst and take pleasure and delight in the word of God. We'll be saying, we'll find ourselves saying with the psalmist more and more, how I love your law. It is my study all the day. So they were devoted to the word, but secondly, they were devoted to worshipping. They were devoted to worshipping. And we see that in verse 42 and also in verses 46 and 47. Verse 42 describes the breaking of bread and the prayers. Many commentators believe that that breaking of bread could be a reference to the Lord's Supper, in which case it would mean that they were observing the Lord's Supper very regularly. Uh, Perhaps on a weekly basis. We don't know for sure that that was the case. But the way that the language is put here. It certainly emphasizes that this was a routine. This was was the, the, the normal practice. This was the lifestyle of the church. To be breaking bread. Either having normal meals or the Lord's Supper. And to be praying together. This was what they always were doing. And Luke especially emphasizes prayer as being part of their worship. And again, you see this all through Acts. This is one of the marks of Acts is prayer. This wasn't a church that just started whatever programs or worship styles or outreach ministries sprung to mind. They prayed to God continually about what they were doing. You can imagine them gathering in their homes or in the temple courts Asking each other for prayer points. Praying for the spread of the gospel. Praying for each other's needs and concerns. Look at verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. Awe. The word awesome is one of the most overused words in the English language today. People will... Take a picture of a cup of coffee and describe it as awesome. A cup of coffee isn't awesome. A video on TikTok isn't awesome. To be truly in awe is to see someone or something that transcends the ordinary day-to-day experiences or sights of our lives in this sinful world. It's to see someone or something holy, (coughs) weighty, That gives you a sense of your smallness and mortality and unimportance in comparison. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Niagara Falls. I went on one of those little boats that takes you as close as it is safe to get uh, to those crashing, tumbling waters at Niagara Falls. That really was an awesome experience to sense the power and force. Uh, and the sheer scope of that body of water. Well, friends, we meet together each week to worship the God who made Niagara Falls and who made everything else as well. There should be for us, as there was for these believers, a sense of awe as we stop each week to worship God in the name of Jesus Christ. And contrary to the the attitude and practice of many churches today, what goes on during a worship service on the Lord's Day is supposed to be to look and feel different from what is going on in the world. 
It's a good thing that when we worship, we don't just try to look like and sound like the world. It's good that we take a few moments before and after worship to be silent. It's good that we sing the Psalms and read the word with as few frills or distractions as possible. Because that's designed to keep our focus on the extraordinary God that we worship. Rather than on any human performance or creativity. And yet at the same time. We need to take care that our worship is sincere. Genuine worship. How we worship is only half the issue. What's our attitude like as we do it? We can be singing the right words or praying the right words with our hearts all over the place. Are we reverent, joyful, thoughtful, energized, prepared? I know it can be hard sometimes to be prepared in the busyness of family life, but by God's grace, do we put do we have practices in place to help us as individuals and families prepare ourselves do we want to sing and pray and learn do we do we seem like we're enjoying it do we seem like we're interested in it i don't think these believers in acts had to spend a lot of time convincing anyone outside the church that they were worshiping god the way that god had commanded them to Because these people clearly loved to worship. It it excited them. It filled them with joy. Awe came upon every soul. And whilst at times we might be critical of the way in which other Christians worship. The things that they do in the name of worship. Do we not sometimes have something to learn from the enthusiasm of others in their worship? What if we were to marry a little more enthusiasm with the wonderful words of the Psalms that we sing. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, (coughs) bless his holy name. When we open our mouths to sing, to pray, is there passion and joy as well as reverence and awe? Let's ask God that by his grace and the power of his spirit in us, friends, that would be the case In our weekly and daily worship here in Dremore. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to worshipping. Thirdly they were devoted to welcoming. They were devoted to welcoming. And to be honest. A better word here would be sharing. But I'm trying to keep the W's. So that you remember the points of the sermon. Uh, So you can put in devoted to sharing if you like. Or devoted to welcoming. To keep uh, the use of the W's going. Devoted to welcoming. We're a more individually minded society than perhaps any in history. That was true even before a global pandemic left us all even more uh, focused in on our own little bubbles than ever before. We're a society concerned to have individual needs met according to individual tastes and opinions. It's the need of the individual that matters Uh, that comes before the needs of the wider community most of the time in our day and age. But the Acts 2 church was not a church of individuals. Verse 42 tells us that they were devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. And the Greek word there for fellowship is quite hard to capture in English, but it really means sharing everything in common. 
sharing everything in common. Perhaps we could sum it up as, what's yours is mine. What's yours is mine. And that's what we see in the early church. They share their lives with one another. Notice how Luke keeps using that little word, all. Verse 44, all who believed were together, he says. They had all things in common. What this church did, they did together, be it worship, witness, or even on a regular basis, Luke is telling us here, eating their meals together. One of the things they did as well was to sell possessions to meet the needs of the most vulnerable or poverty-stricken in their midst. Uh, It's important to emphasize that that's something they chose to do. This is not some kind of Christian uh, uh, socialism that we're reading about here. It's not Christian communism. There's no such thing. Uh, But this is something that they volunteered to do. This is something they chose to do to meet the particular needs of their community at that time. But it shows, doesn't it, the level of love and concern and the shared sense of identity and fellowship among them. Not only did they share their possessions, they shared their homes. We read here that they ate their meals together. That's one of the best ways to get to know fellow Christians, uh, really to get to know anyone, is to share a meal with them. Maybe in your home or in a cafe or, or somewhere else like that. Obviously, again, we're not able to enjoy those things as much as we usually do at the moment. But the day will come when those opportunities come again. And it's a wonderful way, friends, to get to know people. To build friendships and, and in times even to, to reach out and to share the gospel over some food. Some of you perhaps are familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield, Christian woman saved out of a life of atheism and pretty radical sin and one of the things that started Rosaria Butterfield on her journey to faith was a simple invitation from a a Christian couple to come into their home and enjoy a meal these first believers friends were together and for those who got saved and joined them there was always space at the table for new people Quite simply, friends, this church in Acts chapter 2 loved their God and loved their neighbour. Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. Here's a church that was seeking to obey those commandments. And again, do you think when unbelievers heard these people preaching about God's love for sinners, do you think they believed them? Of course they did. Because their actions backed up their words. What the apostles were teaching, these people were doing. They loved, they cared, they shared. And to one degree or another, there does tend to be something within most of us that resists sharing too much of our lives with other people. You can see this, of course, in little toddlers very easily. They don't like sharing anything. (laughs) But it's still in us, even as we grew up. Perhaps some of us, we, we, we hesitate to let people come too close. And yet in our culture today of hyper-individualism, of people just focusing on themselves, what do we see? We see greater rates of depression. We see greater rates of people declaring themselves lonely. 
We see greater rates of mental ill health than we've ever seen before. And in such a time, friends, what could stand out more than the group of Christians who love one another, who look out for one another, who share their lives together? As I've said, this is probably one of the things about church life that has been most disrupted by the pandemic. It's probably coming up in a year since most of us have had anyone other than immediate family into our homes or gone and, gone and met someone in a cafe for a chat and a coffee or gone out to a restaurant or whatever it may be or just even a small group of Christians opening up a Bible in a living room. If we truly love the church, hopefully those are all things that we're missing dreadfully. But the pandemic might actually also be an opportunity Let's make it a point of prayer as a church, as a church family, that as soon as we are able in future, that this will be a bigger part of our church life than ever before. I don't know how big a part of your church life that has been in the past, but the pandemic maybe gives us a clean slate, whatever the case was beforehand. Let's be ready to find ways as soon as is possible in the months ahead to be this kind of church to be inviting each other into our homes or into our lives in other ways. It's not always possible to meet in each other's homes. But to be spending time together, to be enjoying fellowship together, to be depending on one another in our Christian lives for, for prayer, for friendship, for support. It could be as simple as offering a new mum a meal. It could be as simple as lending someone some equipment to use around the house. And it can extend to meeting up together for Bible study and prayer. And it's not always easy to share life and to develop relationships in the church. Because we're all sinners. And we all have flaws and quirks of one kind or another. And it would have been no different for the believers in Acts. 3,000 people got saved and joined the church. Do you think 3,000 people all just got to know each other and just like that and were perfect personality matches and didn't have any problems or, or friction between them? Of course not. It can be hard work. We can all be hard work. Certainly I can be. But if we're not a sharing church, we will become a shallow church. If we aren't willing to share our lives with our spiritual family, we have to ask if we really want to be a part of our spiritual family. Life is very busy. There are demands on every one of us every day. Some of you are right in the, in the thick of that stage of life, of busyness with work and children and everything that comes with it. It's not that we need to be in and out of each other's homes every second of every day. That's not even possible at the moment. But in whatever ways we can, whatever ways you're led by God as you pray about this for yourselves, we are called to share life together. There's just a few one another's here and there in the scriptures. We can't be fully obedient to the scripture if we're not concerned to live out the one another's. We're not just to love worship and sermons. We're to love one another. So they were devoted to the word, to worship, to welcoming each other. And fourthly and finally, they were devoted to witnessing. They were devoted to witnessing. Look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together. 
The temple, of course, was a public place. In many ways, it was the focal point of Jerusalem as a city. The temple was the natural place for the early believers to go because most of the early believers, of course, were Jews. They had a natural desire for their fellow Jews to hear the gospel and to join the church. And so they would go and preach and gather in the temple. And of course, this doesn't mean that they got involved in every aspect of worship in the temple, some of which, of course, wouldn't apply to them anymore as Christians. But really, when you think of the Jerusalem temple, think of City Hall in Belfast. And if you were meeting someone, you would maybe say, I'll meet you outside City Hall. There's all kinds of places in and around that building where you could meet and speak to people. Point is, friends, that the church gathered where people could see them and hear them and easily join them. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. These believers were caring for the needy. They were welcoming in new people. They were joyfully praising God. And in all of that, in all of that, they were witnesses to the world. They did these things in full view of the world. One writer says, In Acts we never see a community turned so inward that taking the message to those outside is forgotten or ignored. They never forgot about the people out there and how they needed to witness to them. And look again at verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God blessed the efforts of this ordinary, healthy church. God added to their numbers. What a great encouragement that is, friends. What have we just read about? We've read about people listening to God's word being preached, praising God and praying to God, and sharing life together in perfectly ordinary ways. And God blessed that God used those things to grow his church. We don't have to come up with fantastic new innovative strategies. We don't need to worry about being the biggest and the best. It's through the ordinary means of grace. It's through the ordinary life of churches like ours that God will be pleased to do his work and to grow his church. Healthy things do grow. Which means that healthy churches will grow. And that's not to say that we have to see a certain number of people come in and join us each month or each year. We should pray by God's grace that we will see many people joining us on a regular basis. That would be a delight. That would be a joy. But in some way or other there should always be signs of life in a church. There should be devotion to the word to worship, to welcome. And if there is, God will add the growth when and how he sees fit. And so this is the kind of church that I already have been praying and will be praying, and I hope that you will be praying, that we are, and that we become more and more. Churches usually focus on their strengths and ignore their weaknesses or play down their weaknesses. And so churches with good teaching persist in good teaching and kind of make it all about the teaching. Churches that are good at witnessing make it all about witnessing. 
evangelistic uh, events, evangelistic themed services and so forth, some of which is perfectly valid. Churches that like that close community and close fellowship make it all about the small group aspect. And again, there's nothing wrong with good small group ministries and churches. But friends, what we see here in this portrait of the church in Acts is that they did all of these things. The word, worship, welcome, and witness. All of these things mark the life of the church. And all of these things, by the way, mark the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King and Head of the church. Jesus himself was devoted to the Word. He was devoted to learning the Word as a human being, if we can imagine that. Remember in Luke, in the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and men. And then, of course, Jesus was devoted to preaching the Word. Repent, for the Kingdom of God is near. Jesus worshipped all through his life. He worshipped his heavenly Father. Jesus welcomed people into his life for fellowship, for community. Twelve very imperfect disciples whom at times it must have been tempting to forget about fellowship with them altogether. But Jesus welcomed them in. And of course Jesus not only shared but gave his life for his church as we thought about in Psalm 122. And now Jesus has sent out his church to be his witnesses. Luke has shown us what the church was, what the church should be, and what the church could be. Let's pray, friends, that by God's grace we will be here in Dromore, this kind of church, devoted to the word, to worship, to each other, and to witness. Amen.